those expectations and the demands on ministry often cause pastors to take their relationship with God, their time of prayer, their reading of the word for the nourishment of their own soul, and put those on the back burner. Welcome to Hope Renewed, helping you find new hope when ministry leaves you hopeless. The Hope Renewed podcast is brought to you by BIR Ministries. Here are your hosts, Tom Jameson and Sean Nemechek. So, Sean, we are at the cusp of a very important event in your life, and I'd like to say in the life of PIR Ministries. What's happening at the end of March for you? Yeah, my book is finally going to see the light of day and make its way out into the Hallelujah. world. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. After uh, <laughs> almost two and a half years of work. So I'm really excited about that. My daughter introduced me to a term that I'd never heard before. She's a book editor and she talks about book babies. Does this feel like a birthing to you? Well, I don't know what a birthing feels like, <laughs> but uh, I guess probably as close as I can get. Um Right. Yeah, it is. It's super exciting. I'm very proud of the book. Uh, mm. the The process of getting the Weary Leader's Guide to Burnout from rough draft to the finished product has been great. And uh, yeah, I'm really, really happy about it. Now, we are grateful to God for this gift to leaders in the church and very thankful and proud of you too as a, a uh, well, compadre you. in ministry. And so we are dedicating the next three podcasts to a deep dive into the Weary Leader's Guide to Burnout, a journey from exhaustion to wholeness. And to help us to do that, we are welcoming our executive director, Roy Yankee, uh, as as interim co-host, since Sean is our guest. <laughs> Roy, welcome. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Sean. Good to See you guys, uh, hear you, and uh, be a part of this. So, yeah. Roy, how excited are you about this book? I am really excited. When Sean uh, sent me the pre-release copy, uh, um, I dove in and, you know, we've we've all read a lot of books on burnout because there are a lot of books out there. But I tell you what, based on his experience uh, and and just the depth at which he goes into this book, I think it's going to be a blockbuster for those who need it. Uh, I was really, really encouraged, and I'm I'm excited to see this come to light. Well, I'm really looking forward to these conversations. This this is building on a, a previous conversation, Sean, that you and I had. Just giving, I'm calling it the the ten thousand foot flyover of mm-hmm. of this work. And these next three podcasts will be diving deeper into the different sections of the book. So. Sean, if you would just kind of give us uh, an overview of how the book is put together in these three sections and tell us a little bit about uh, section one that we'll be talking about today. Sure. The the introduction to the book tells a little bit about my story. And then after that, the book is uh, broken out into three sections. The first section is all about understanding burnout, what it is, what it is not, and the things that contribute to burnout in the life of Christian leaders. The second part is about recovering from burnout. This is where we get into the nuts and bolts of what do I do to get out of this? And uh, we explore various practical things. That that part of the book flies. Uh, There's lots of stuff packed in there, though. Um, And it's it's the type of uh, thing that you really want to go through slowly because there's so much there. 
Uh, the third part of the book kind of changes tack a little bit and moves into more of a story of transformation. Uh, what does it look like uh, to have a a resilience that allows us to be burnout proof? And what are the spiritual disciplines that we need to have in place? And I end that section with a picture of what what does a healthy leader look like? Um, mm-hmm. Because uh, that's an important thing to to keep in mind at the end there. Um, and then we tie it all up in the, the end of that section with um, just developing a rule of life that brings everything in the book together uh, into one way of, of understanding how to apply everything into your life. So it's really a comprehensive look at burnout, uh, what it is, how to recover, and how to avoid burning out again. So I love that you start out with that deeply pertinent question that anyone picking up this book uh, would have, I would imagine, am I in burnout? So as you, as you begin the, the whole exploration into this, you, you start with this question, uh, what is burnout? I, I mean, what do the experts say uh, about burnout? Yeah, there's different ways of understanding burnout. The problem is there's really no one standard definition for it. And so everybody has their own ideas of what burnout is. And if you were to go on social media and just search the word burnout, uh, I mean, people talk about burnout in very light and flippant ways. You know, my cat has been whining for food all day. I'm so burned out. I, that's that's not really burnout. What we want to get down to the the, the nuts and bolts of, of what burnout is, um, is we're looking at the, the things that psychologists and counselors use uh, to diagnose burnout. So I, uh, based on the Maslach burnout inventory, uh, I took the three categories uh, of uh, burnout symptoms and uh, developed them into four questions. Uh, I find that those three categories are really important, but the four questions that I ask are more helpful for the pastors that I coach. So the three categories uh, of burnout symptoms are first uh, just emotional exhaustion, deep fatigue. Um, the second is um, has to do with your uh, efficacy in your workplace. Uh, are you being effective? Uh, and then the third has to do with uh, what they call depersonalization uh, or cynicism. Um, now, that one doesn't translate very easily because, to be honest, there are a lot of cynical pastors out there and they're not burned out. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I took that third category and broke it into two questions. One is uh, dealing with uh, your sense of self. Um, do you really know yourself and uh, can you understand who you are? Do you remember what brings you joy? Those types of things. And the second question has to do with hopelessness or a loss of optimism. Um, and so we know somebody's in burnout uh, when they're deeply emotionally fatigued, when their sense of efficacy at work uh, is gone. They, they're just not as effective as they used to be, even though they're working harder than ever before. Uh, when they've lost their sense of, sense of self and when they're feeling hopeless or they've lost uh, optimism. When those four things are in place, uh, then we know we're dealing with somebody who's really in burnout. And I, I think that this section leading off in the book is, was super helpful, uh, Sean, because there are so many definitions floating around out there, even in the some of the books that we've read. And this has really gotten to, I think, certainly what I have felt 
um, in my own life and your experience uh, that you share uh, of going through burnout. Uh, I think these are the the really the key indicators that people need to to pay attention to. I know that I do um, because that's that's where I tend to fall off the rails. Is you know I'm just tired. You know, well, okay, but there's a whole lot more to burnout than just being tired. Yeah, there's different flavors of being tired, aren't there? I mean, yeah. there's, there's there's tired after a good day of work. Um, that's a good kind of tired. That's that's a tired that you feel proud about. And then there's a tire that goes deep into your bones and just says, I don't think I can do this anymore. That's a really dangerous kind of tired. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we talk about burnout, I like to, to say that burnout is what happens when our inner life uh, with God is no longer sufficient to sustain our outer work for God. Or another way of saying that is we've just experienced a total depletion of self. Uh, that We have nothing left to give and to give more in that condition would actually be destructive um this is where we find pastors uh ending up doing some horrible things whether it's uh uh falling into addictions of porn or alcohol uh or blowing up their ministry through uh you know having an affair or committing suicide uh, there's some pretty dark stuff that happens when we get to that totally depleted state and we try to keep going. I feel it's just so helpful to have this kind of diagnostic perspective uh, because burnout isn't just an on off kind of thing. Like today mm-hmm. I'm not burned out and tomorrow I am that, that there's a progression to it. And because there's a progression, there's hope in, in kind of short circuiting the, the depth, you know, getting to those very, very dark places. I, I just think that's so hopeful. You you not only talk about what burnout is, you talk about what burnout isn't. Um, and and that's that's so instructive as well. Yeah, I wanted to make it very clear um that a, a lot of the trauma language we hear going around uh, in our culture today is very important language, but burnout and trauma. While they can be related, they aren't the same thing. And I just wanted to make that really clear. So in that section, I talk a little bit about uh, the the different types of trauma that may contribute to burnout or may be separate from burnout, um, but we need to be aware of them. So that would be post-traumatic stress, which is a single major traumatic event that leads to recurrence and you know various symptoms. Uh, then there's chronic traumatic stress, um, which uh, is uh, recurring uh, tr- uh, trauma, like uh, being uh, verbally or physically abused again and again and again. Mm-hmm. The two may present very similar to one another, but actually have uh, very different um, long-term effects. Um, the third is uh, what's called secondary trauma or vicarious trauma. This is where uh, you experience trauma from hearing about the traumatic events that others have been through. Um, and mm. so uh, that's, this is pretty common for pastors. You know, yeah. When we uh, sit with people who are talking about uh, trauma in their lives and processing how God could love them in the middle of, of all that, uh, we can experience that type of trauma. Um, 
And then the fourth category is compassion fatigue. And again, this is very common for pastors and anybody in any sort of caregiving profession. This is what happens when we don't have the the soul care and self-care uh, to sustain caring for others. Uh, one of the points that I want to make in this book is that it's our care of self that enables us to care for others. And if we're not doing that, then we're going to burn out. And compassion fatigue uh, is kind of like burnout for caregivers. You just run out of your ability to have empathy for others. And normally yeah. very caring people will say, I, I just don't care anymore. And it's scary to them. Um, yeah. And then, then there's a fifth category of just feeling exhausted, um, just tired, uh, but not having the other symptoms uh, that go along with burnout. Uh, so uh, you may have somebody who's really tired in their work, but is still effective in what they do. They may have enough of a support system to help them overcome that fatigue uh, and that difficulty. Um, and so they never fall into burnout. And and that's uh, it's, it's important to distinguish between these different trauma responses mm -hmm. uh, and fatigue and what burnout really is. Um, a question that occurs to me too, Sean, is that, you know, someone uh, picking this book up, say it's not just a pastor, but maybe a, a ministry leader or a, a, a person on our church board, a lay leader. Um, and they're going to ask, well, you know, I could be burned out. Um, and, and we know that burnout can be experienced in a lot of different ways by a lot of different people. Yeah, what, in your opinion, um, makes it different? for those in ministry positions, ministry roles? Yeah, there's something about leadership in general that is isolating, and ministry in particular that is both isolating and highly stressful because we don't have uh, cultures that uh, are designed to encourage. Uh, pastors swim in criticism, as uh, Jared Wilson once said. Um, that that context makes burnout highly likely. Uh, there's a burnout scale that's used for measuring burnout specifically in pastors. It's called the Francis Burnout Inventory. And it basically asks uh, how much uh, good stuff do you have, good encouragement, um, support, relational connection, those types of things. How much good stuff do you have? And does it outweigh the negative impact of your work? Uh, so the, the criticism, the discouragement, and all those different things that pastors experience. Uh, and if you talk to most pastors, you'll find that the criticism and the negative far outweighs the positive in their own experience, uh, because so many people uh, just don't think about the work environment that a pastor's in. We expect them to be able to handle it on their own, uh, and none of us can. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons Jesus sent out the disciples in pairs, so that when one's down, another could lift them up. Mm, right. uh, so, yeah, I think uh, I think the culture that we have in churches, um, especially in the last few years, has deeply uh, affected the likelihood of burnout among pastors. And there's the dynamic also of the individual the pastor, the ministry leader, and their their style, or you, you call them profile. So in, in your chapter on many paths to burnout, you give 12 different profiles of those who are uh, potentially at risk for burnout. Not that they definitely will, but it's it's the warning light on the dashboard, right? 
walk through those uh, with us. Well, yeah, we could have, uh, you know, many more profiles uh, mm-hmm. for burnout there. Um, there. There are so many different ways of coming at burnout. I could have put in a hundred. My publisher wouldn't have liked that, though. So <laughs> um, it would have made the book far too long. Uh, but, yeah, when we we talk about the different profiles of burnout, what we're really trying to do is is show that really burnout can happen to anyone. Um, it, it's not just these few, uh, but uh, it, it can happen in, in many different ways. There's three sections uh, within that chapter that that talk about the types of leaders that are going to burn out. And we won't go through every single one of them, but just let me highlight right. the, the three big pictures. There's, there's those who have work dysfunction. Uh, that means that their relationship uh, to their work is just not healthy. Uh, these might be uh, people who are overworked or underutilized or um, people who are are um, just workaholics or they're in a in a difficult uh, uh, work environment. Uh, the second is relational challenges. Um, these might include uh, people who are in conflict. Uh, it may uh, look back to our family of origin and, and some of the things uh, that happened there. It uh, deals with isolation. So there's, there's different uh, things that can happen relationally uh, that mm-hmm. lead to burnout. Uh, and then the third is self-sabotage. Uh, these are uh, leaders who have certain characteristics that uh, in their personality or in their background lead them to burnout. So uh, like idealism or perfectionism uh, will lead us to be discouraged all the time. Uh, and uh, will eventually lead to burnout. Uh, sometimes it's disorganization uh, or laziness uh, in our background that uh, uh, really make it difficult for us to function and, and increase the stress, the anxiety, and the shame that we experience and and lead to burnout. And so uh, there's there's a bunch of different ways of coming to burnout, but those three categories really um, describe what's happening. Um, but I, I do want to highlight that burnout starts in the workplace. It starts with a dysfunctional work culture. If you have a healthy work culture, you won't burn out. Uh, so that's where hmm. it starts. Uh, but it's also our response to that unhealthy culture mm-hmm. that determines whether or not we'll burn out. So you have people in unhealthy work cultures all over the place, but not all of them burn out. It's those who don't have a healthy response to that unhealthy culture um, to differentiate and, and be healthy um, that allows uh, burnout to, to happen in their lives. So I, I know you're going to get to the recovery from burnout you know, later in the book, but this, this whole chapter was really, really good. And these snapshots were very insightful. I won't tell you where I found myself. Um, in that. <laughs> Can we tell you where? No. Yeah, yeah, you probably could. Um, I think I say in the book that I find myself in a bunch of them. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. really true. And so the question I have for you is, um, a lot of people think that, you know, if I just solve the external pieces of my experience of burnout, that I've I've resolved it. But wouldn't you say that burnout um, is a result of, but also is a expression of that underneath stuff that um, doesn't um, often get addressed. 
Yeah, we're we're whole people. We can't just deal with the external um, and expect change to last. In fact, uh, real lasting change starts with internal change, and then that flows to the external. And one of the things mm -hmm. I'm trying to do in the book is show that we have to start with our inner life before we start working on the externals. Uh, or uh, the same stuff will pop up again and again. It's like if you have uh, a virus and you just treat the symptoms without actually trying to treat the virus itself. Uh, those symptoms will keep coming back again and again. So just trying to deal with the externals doesn't work. We have to address the inner life and the, the things that are wrong on the inside. I had somebody say to me that, uh, is, aren't you just blaming the victim? Um, and... and I can see why they would say that. I mean, we feel like mm. burnout is something that happens to us, uh, but really burnout is something that happens in us. And we are internally, our, our, our unhealthy internal systems are part of the problem. Um, and so we're as much the perpetrator as the victim uh, mm. in this case. And so it's important to recognize that, that this isn't victim blaming. It's actually uh, helping people uh, break free and find new health and freedom and joy. And it's so much fun when, when we've taken a leader from, I don't know how much longer I can do this to, I can't wait to get back into ministry or work again. Mm. And before we jump into that inner life, because that's your third chapter in the book, it, it just seems to me uh, that part of what you've just said is going back to the whole, you know, control what you can, don't try to control what you can't um, in, in terms of where the issues lie. Um, mm -hmm. So it, instead of seeing it as a victim blaming, it's, it's more of a, no, I'm just trying to, to address the things that I can and should be addressing. Um, and, you know, allowing that to be a better, healthier person in the midst of the things that I can't control. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's really about seeing where I am right now and who I am right now. Uh, a lot of burned out leaders, as I've said earlier, have, have lost their sense of self. And so mm -hmm. um, the work of addressing our inner life actually reintroduces us to ourselves. Mm. We get to know ourselves again. And it's that that sense of healthy self, not in a selfish, self-centered way, but in a self-caring, loving way that enables us to care for others. Um, it's, it's doing that work that allows us to then think about how we are impacting the people around us. Mm -hmm. You know, in my experience, just me, in looking at my life and, and where these things have, have played out, it was so crucial for me to learn to see myself objectively in my work dysfunction or my relational challenges or in self-sabotage to, to gain that level of self-awareness to not simply say, you know, Oh, why is this happening to me? But, Oh, I see why that might be happening to me. You know, there, there's an ownership of, of, okay, again, this is something I can control and I need to address uh, because I, I'm not going to be able to change how, you know, uh, John Smith is and his negative attitude that just comes in every week. And it's like, Oh, here we go again. It's like, wow, how can I be different uh, in, in that 
So, so that external um, uh, objectivity of, of seeing that and then delving into the internal to yeah. discover what's going on there. Uh, so burnout is really a lack of resilience. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's what happens when we just don't have the resilience we need. In the forward for the book, Glenn Packiam points out that resilience isn't just the ability uh, to, to not get sick. It's, it's more the ability to bounce back when we are sick or when we are wounded. Um, and uh, we had Todd Bolsinger on the podcast uh, last year, I think it was. And, and mm-hmm. he talked about how resilience is formed in times of reflection. Um, how when when we are in the moment, it's really hard to develop resilience when we're wounded. But right. when we go back and we do the internal work and the self-reflection and understand our what we contributed to the problem um, and see ourselves from that more objective view, get some insight from other people, um, that's where resilience is built and made. And uh, yeah, so that's that's really, I think, the important part of this book is is that it provides ample opportunity for self-reflection. So in chapter three, you you delve into the inner life and you talk about loss of integrity and internal cracks and and deep wounds. What what is it you're you're getting at as as you make that exploration? Well, we all are broken people um, because of sinfulness in our own lives and in the world around us. Uh, We have wounds uh, that we aren't aware of. We have things that we formed internally, defense mechanisms that really don't help us. Um, There's really this sense of uh, a false self that we tend to project to the world um, that we want people to see us as better than we really are, either bigger or smaller, depending on our situation. But not we don't want people to see the true us because we're we're hiding in in shame. Um, and so uh, in this section, we deal with some of the things that contribute to that. Uh, so we'll talk about a little bit how our family of origin can contribute to uh, the, the things that uh, lead to burnout. Uh, for example, if you grew up in a family that did not handle conflict well, they just avoided conflict. That's going to be one of the things that that will lead to burnout uh, as every leader faces conflict. Um, mm. We talk about uh, childhood wounds um, and how some of the things, the stories that we told ourselves as children in response to what happened to us uh, may have formed these defense mechanisms that really are not helpful anymore. So I tell a story about... Um, uh, I can't remember if it's in this section, uh, but there's an older kid on the playground who stole a sticker from me when I was younger. And I I really internalized that as you can't trust anybody, uh, especially when it seems like they're trying to manipulate you. And that became one of my defense mechanisms that later in life, uh, I was on such high alert for people who might be trying to manipulate me that it made it hard to trust anybody. Um, which is part of the thing that contributes to burnout. If you you don't trust anybody and you're isolated, how are you going to find the help that you need? Um, mm. You just can't. Um, and so that's that's one of the reasons it took me so long to ask for help was because I had difficulty trusting. So childhood wounds are, are one of the things. Uh, and then we talk about things like trauma and abuse um, that uh, really 
a lot of us have experienced. Um, I think all of us have experienced some level of trauma. Uh, if we've lived long enough, we've had some of that. Some have experienced a lot of trauma. Um, and, you know, abuse in our lives uh, makes it hard for us to uh, have these relational connections that we need to be healthy. Um, so we talk about that. And then also the effects of uh, religion and spirituality and unbalanced approaches to even Christianity, how that can affect our ability to be strong and healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, if you grew up in a community that was really heavy on our sinfulness and how, you know, our hearts are are sinful and wicked and we can't do anything good, but never talked about the love of God and the original goodness of his creation and the new heart that we're given as we come to Christ and are being formed by the Spirit, um, you're likely to have some very negative mental health outcomes. Um, and that would contribute to burnout, especially shame, uh, deep levels of shame. Um, and then um, related to that, we talk about, uh, or I talk about some of the the unwanted emotions that we have and our unhealthy ways of addressing those. So th- this work of um, growing in self-awareness, um, I would guess you would say this is probably the heart of, of this book is not only the recovery piece, which is really important, but the hard work of of becoming more aware of what those root causes are. And I really love um, the the questions you ask at the end of this chapter, which all of the chapters I found really helpful in terms of the very practical questions, steps that people can work through. Mm-hmm. But do you find that that those in ministry find it difficult or not something that they're trained in to do this kind of work and that this book might be helpful? Yeah, some people are more naturally self-reflective than others, Hmm. but in ministry, it's hard to do that um, because there's so much demand on your time and really, to be honest, so much emotional demand. Um, Preaching is an emotional act. Yeah. I don't know how you guys felt preaching, but when I got done, I was just drained emotionally. I was tired. Um, Mm -hmm. Working with people, uh, there's going to be conflict that's emotional. I mean, there's going to be people who misunderstand, who are frustrated, who are taking their anger out on you because of things that are happening in other areas of their life. The, The pastor becomes kind of the lightning rod for people's disappointment with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of this, this emotional environment, in addition to the overwhelming expectations that are placed on pastors today, uh, we expect them to do far more than any one person is capable of doing. And trying to manage those expectations can lead to people pleasing. It can lead to all sorts of things. In all of that, where's the time for stillness, for quiet, for self-reflection? In fact, um, those expectations and the demands on ministry often cause pastors to take their relationship with God, their time of prayer, their reading of the word for the nourishment of their own soul, and put those on the back burner, um, set them aside. And pretty soon that becomes a habit. And before long, they just don't have anything uh, as far as internal resources to 
uh, to combat what's going on and they burn out pretty dramatically. And it, it goes to the need that I believe that, that every person has, but those in pastoral ministry uh, certainly can easily ignore to, to continually examine our inner world that mm-hmm. um, you mentioned expectations. And I'd put uh, with that also motivations, you know, why, yeah. why are we in ministry? Why are we even doing this? Uh, and, and how easily those can get um, uh, off center and out of, of whack, highlighting the need to be continually reflecting and, and tending to our, our inner self. I, I, I'll show my age here. You know, this chapter made me think of Gordon McDonald's book, Ordering Your Private World, and and just that that whole continual watchfulness that takes time. And that I wonder if sometimes, uh, you know, those we serve think, well, you're in the ministry, so you've got that all taken care of. You don't need the time <laughs> to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the problems is um, that we've had some unhealthy things taught to us about how we relate to our work as pastors. Mm-hmm. We're, we're taught that you're supposed to be laying down your life for others. Well, yeah, that's true. But what does that really mean? We're not often told that. And so we think that to care for ourselves is, is something that we shouldn't be doing. Um, and we're supposed to be giving of ourselves, not caring for ourselves. And so we feel guilty when we take the time um, to care for our own souls. Um, But the reality is that caring for our own souls is what enables us to care for other souls. Um, And if we don't know how to care for our own, we don't know how to care for others. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so uh, really self-leadership and self-care form the basis for good, healthy leadership of others. And um, there's so much stuff in our church culture that works against that. In Mm. the United States, we have the idea that um, the harder you work, the holier you are. Uh, Mm. We don't say it that way, but that's the implication that we have in so many of our churches. Um, uh, You know, we have pastors who will say, I can can sleep when I'm dead. Well, that's not healthy. Jesus took naps. Um, We can follow (laughs) Jesus' example and take naps ourselves. Uh, Or another pastor says, "The, the devil never takes a day off. Why should I? And you know, and then we probably need to say you're looking at the wrong person as your role model here. Um, <laughs> right, right. Well, I I remember a common statement among pastors when I was coming up: it's better to burn out than rust out. I mean, okay, yeah. so why why do we have to choose one of those extremes? Right, that's not healthy. Mm. Yeah, another one is uh, if. If I care for the church, God will care for my family, mm, which is a horrible right. way of of developing just incredible dysfunction in your family that will put pressure mm. on your ministry. And uh, yeah, it's it's just horrible. I think too. Uh, I wonder whether you feel this way that, in light of all of this, that many pastors and ministry leaders don't feel that this kind of work. And paying attention to this kind of of stuff in their lives is a part of their work. That this is like a foundational piece of their work, and they separate it out. It's compartmentalized. Yeah, I think a lot of churches don't see this as part of their pastor's work. 
Right. And this is one of the real problems is um, where do you find time to do this? I think it should be part of your, your regular routine in your work. One of the things I had to do in my recovery from burnout was include spaces in my day, in my work day, for connection with God, for disconnection from meetings and from stress and, and just that continual renewal in God. It's not something I could do outside of my work for my work. It had to be done uh, throughout the day. And uh, I started taking prayer retreats, and uh, some of them were just one day a month. Others were a couple of weeks during the year. Uh, and I got a lot of pushback on that. Why aren't you in the mm. pulpit this this time? So, yeah, learning to to do those things that are necessary for self-care, for listening to God, for knowing God's will and discerning his will, um, they're part of our work. Uh, but on top of that, when we take the time to do the stuff that I'm talking about in this book, it it does take a lot of effort on the front end. There's a lot of mm -hmm. work that I'm calling people to do here. And it's, it's intense work. It's deep work. It's going to take a long time. But when we do it, everything else becomes easier. Uh, our work becomes more productive. We can do more in less time. And we have a better sense of what work we should do and what work we should say no to. Yes. Uh, which also protects us from burnout. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see how a lot of pastors would say, I don't have time to do all this, but I would say you don't have time not to, uh, because it's doing this work that makes you a better, deeper, uh, more wise leader that can be equipped to help others in, in better ways. Amen. Yeah. Again, dating myself, I'm thinking of Bill Hybels book, too busy not to pray. You know, it, it's, it's that same, kind of uh mindset that these things must be attended to if we really want to see the things that we desire to see in in ministry mm -hmm. so you you get into this great chapter i think this is my favorite chapter actually in the whole book uh when you talk about stress and burnout actually you bring up the big three stress anxiety and shame um and how those uh, are just so crucial to be aware of but you use these engineering terms to describe stress. I loved it. I it love this. This, yeah. this is so great. So walk us through that that uh, understanding of, of stress, anxiety, shame, the relationship, and, and the dynamics with those. Yeah. So the term stress is what we associate with burnout, right? Uh, we just We know that if we have a certain amount of stress in our lives, we're likely to burn out. Uh, but behind that is actually anxiety, uh, and shame, and and even anger. Although I didn't include anger here because anger is a secondary emotion that's often just hiding our shame and our anxiety. So anxiety and shame are really the two foundational things that, that uh, we have to work on. And those two things often spiral around one another. They feed one another. The more anxiety I experience, the more shame I feel, which leads to more anxiety. And pretty soon you're caught in this anxiety-shame spiral that just sucks you down. Mm. Um, so, yeah, those are, are really important uh, areas to, to deal with. But early in the chapter, I, I wanted to just address stress, how it affects us. What uh, We need to, to think about what types of stress we're experiencing, because not all stress is the same. There's good stress and there's bad stress. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, this morning I took some time and I did a workout and lifted some heavy weights. 
that was stressful, but it's good stress because it's uh, allowing my body to get healthier, to get stronger. Um, if I push it too far, however, I lift too much weight, I might have a barbell come crashing down on my head. That's not good. Uh, that's bad stress uh, when you when you take it too far. Um, and so uh, I was just curious, where did we get the term stress? And it actually comes from engineering. Um, stress relates to the different forces that are at work in engineering. And so I talk about uh, several different engineering terms that are metaphors for uh, stress. So just give you a few of them, for example. Compression uh, is when things are being pushed together, a force pressing down or in. Uh, and uh, I talk about how that uh, sometimes is the way ministry feels. We feel squeezed into somebody else's idea of what we should be or trapped by our job description or ministry. We feel smaller and uh, eventually uh, we're going to crush or buckle under the pressure. Um, and so uh, understanding how that kind of stress leads to people pleasing and other negative behaviors is important. Um, another one I talk about is is tension. Uh, pastors can relate to this one too. Tension is a pulling type stress. Uh, and uh, pastors often feel pulled in two or three or four or maybe a hundred different directions, and there's not enough of them to go around. Uh, and so that that idea of tension relates to our, our stress. So compression is being pressed down. Tension is being pulled apart. Two very different ways of experiencing stress. Um, so we, we also talk about uh, shear and bending. And my favorite one is torsion, uh, where you're uh, stress that twists us around and around and <laughs> causes us to uh, to have a crisis of understanding. It might uh, be something changes and we realize my understanding of the world was wrong. And now I'm all twisted around. And uh, what do I do with that? Uh, and then the last one I talk about is fatigue, where, uh, you know, if I were to ask you to to hold a weight uh, out to your side, even a small one, say two pounds, uh, hold it out to your side and hold it up there continually, uh, you might be able to do that for a few minutes. But for a few hours, probably not. Um, this is what we call allostatic load, carrying a weight, no matter what it is, for too long without any periods of rest. Um, and this is the type of thing that uh, leads to burnout in pastors all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, just a lack of rhythms of rest and renewal. And it, it really connects to that other engineering term that you've been using, which is resiliency. Yeah. And and uh, the importance of that. So I, I like like Tom, I found this uh, extremely uh, exciting to, to think about it in these terms. Um, but I. I they aren't spiritual terms, Sean. <laughs> they aren't biblical. What's up with that? Well, God's given us general revelation, too, that we can learn yes, from. Yes, amen. And, yes, uh, he has. Um, you know, honestly, that's one of the things that we find in the church that, that we resist the most is we over-spiritualize everything and say, if, we, mm. if it's not in the Bible, we can't find wisdom in it. But God has taught us, even in Scripture, to look to other things uh, and learn from them. So mm -hmm. look to the ant, 
uh, we, we read in the book of Proverbs. So here I'm saying, look to the engineer, look to the bridge builder, look to the construction <laughs> worker and learn from them. Uh, because, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of lessons we can learn. Mm-hmm. So you end this section talking about, um, energy and burnout, a, a good equation there. Mm-hmm. And, um, just managing, uh, things like rhythms, uh, and even looking at the life of Jesus, just, uh, Again, walk us through uh, kind of that wrap-up of an examination of burnout. Yeah, I think this this chapter is the one I've been getting uh, the most feedback from early readers saying, I never realized that I needed to have rhythms of work and rest in my life. Mm-hmm. I talk about how most leaders are living, uh, as, as I call them, tsunami leaders. Started off the chapter with the story of, of what a tsunami is and how how one crashed into Japan and the devastation it left behind. A tsunami is uh, is when we have a whole bunch of waves that get stacked up on one another, and so many leaders are approaching their calendar as just slots to fill, and everything gets stacked up, uh, one thing on top of another, and there's no space in between for rest. And so when there's no margin, when there's no space to take a breath and to rest, that stacking effect means that we're going, 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 going all the time until we can't, until we Mm. can't go anymore. And then everything comes crashing down. And that leads to a wake of destruction in leaders' lives. Uh, This is, again, where pastors end up in moral failure and addiction and all sorts of things that that just blow up their ministry. Um, And so the point of this chapter is to say that life is all about rhythms. Uh, We have rhythms that naturally occur around us. There's the day and night rhythms. There's rhythms of the tide. Uh, There's rhythms of the seasons. We also have rhythms that occur within us. You know, we breathe in certain rhythms. Our heart beats in certain rhythms. We have uh, sleep rhythms. Uh, There's sleep cycles or, you know, every 90 minutes or so as we're sleeping, our our brain goes through this this cycle of sleep. So uh, it's recognizing that God has built these rhythms into our lives and noticing Mm. those rhythms and living within them. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we have periods of work and periods of rest or recovery. The more intense the work, the more intense the recovery needs to be, or the deeper the recovery needs to be. And so uh, as we look at our lives, we should look and see where do we need our best energy for our most intense work, and where can we apply space for recovery from that intense work. Um, and the principle I just really wanted to to drive home was the the period of recovery needs to match the period of intensity of of work, or we won't recover fully. What a lot of pastors are doing are putting out high intensity work and then just a little bit of recovery and then more intense work and then a little bit of recovery. And again, these things stack on one another. And pretty mm-hmm. soon, everything is just too much. Uh, because they haven't been taking enough time to rest. In music, um, and you're probably familiar with this, um, rhythm is the ordered alteration, alternation, sorry, of contrasting elements, mm-hmm. right? So it's that back and forth of of work and rest. Sound and high silence. High intensity, yeah. sound and silence, all the rest of that. 
And that's so organic and so important. It's it's built into us. We don't pay attention to it at all. Yeah, yeah. And we in American culture, we've been taught to ignore that, uh, especially since uh, the the industrial age came about. Uh, we got away from rhythms in our work. Uh, when we were primarily an agricultural con- country, we couldn't avoid rhythm uh, because growing crops requires that you follow mm-hmm. certain rhythms. Healthy things need rhythms to grow, right? Uh, but when we got to the industrial age, we we started to work in factories where things just go continually, nonstop. 24 hours a day, factories are running seven days a week, and you're just a piece in this machine, and you've got to go, 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 go. And that has spilled its way into every area of culture, especially into the church, where we look at, you know, um, what we're we're called to do, the mission that we're called to do, and the urgency of that mission. Uh, and then we say, we, we can't take time to rest. Uh, because the mission is too important. You know, there's people uh, going to hell out there and we need to save them. Well, Jesus took time to rest. Yeah. Uh, and right. that's what I wanted to do at the end of this chapter is is begin to show how really the antidote to burnout is just seeing Jesus, seeing the way he lives, learning the way he lives, watching him, listening to his way of being with the Father and learning to do that ourselves. Uh, and so I close the chapter with Jesus' rhythms of work and rest. There are times where we see Jesus working insanely, skipping meals, but it's not continual. There are times right. where we see Jesus withdrawing from the crowds, going off by himself to pray. In fact, it's described as a custom of his or a regular practice of his. Uh, sometimes he, he prays early in the morning. Sometimes he prays through the night. Sometimes he sends the crowds away so he can pray. Sometimes he he withdraws from them so he can pray. Uh, and all of this is are things that we can learn from. How many pastors have ever sent the people away so that they can pray? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what Jesus did. Uh, mm-hmm. But we think we can't. I love uh, Peterson's translation of the, the Take My Yoke Upon Me passage where he mm-hmm. talks, come and learn of me the unforced rhythms of grace. Yeah, I love that. And that speaks right to that. So, yeah, thanks, Sean. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked, so side note on that, um, I'm working on the energy capacity piece, the, the time management versus energy capacity. Mm-hmm. That was really important uh, to see there. So, Yeah, most leaders look at their, their time management as just filling a schedule, but really time management is about energy management. Mm-hmm. It's about energy, um, yeah. noticing your workflow, your, your, the energy you have available to you at different times during the day. Most of us only have three to five hours a day where we're really productive. Uh, then we have maybe three to five hours where we're kind of moderately productive. And then the rest of the day, we're, we aren't productive at all. Um, and, <laughs> Based on your your sleep rhythms, your circadian rhythms, it's going to be different for different people. Some people are going to be high energy people in the morning. Other people will not. They'll be high energy at night. And noticing where your energy um, is at its best is important. So you can do your most important work with your best energy. 
And then when your energy is low, those are times for renewal and refreshment and taking some rest and reinvesting in that high energy time. If you do that, then your high energy productive times will be far more productive Mm -hmm. Uh, than if you were trying to push through the low energy times and just try to get things done. Uh, and so learning to recognize those rhythms, which can take several weeks um, to chart and even uh, charting them through our year because the seasons can affect those things too. Um, and, and learning where we're at our best and doing our best work when we have our best energy is is one of the keys to to really having a productive leadership style. Sounds like a, a great opportunity to engage a coach to help you to notice those things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Noticing and awareness. Uh, this first section, I think, is all about that. And um, and to me, that's very hope-giving uh, because uh, I know it can seem hopeless when a leader is experiencing those signs of burnout and, and getting deeper, deeper into that, getting stuck sucked into that anxiety shame vortex that just draws you down and uh, God grant us the grace to to notice and that takes time that takes space to do that Sean this has been great uh wonderful to work through this first section of the book with you we appreciate uh, again all your your hard work on that thank for thanks for leading us today and uh we typically end our time with uh, words of hope. And Roy, I'm going to ask you, what what words of hope would you like to offer to our listeners today? Well, what this this whole experience with Sean's book and, and really engaging with it has reminded me of, uh, and hope that people will grab a hold of this hope, is that Jesus did not die for your ministry. He died for you, and you can only give away what you have. And that's the hope we have in Christ is that he is the one that we need to pay attention to and pattern our lives, our rhythms, everything about what we do around him, because then we bat- we battle back against the hopelessness that we can so often feel. So just remember, the hope is that Jesus died for you. He loves you. He sees you and he cares about you and you can care for yourself because he does. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you to our listeners for joining us today. We we hope you'll go to hoperenewpodcast.com, our webpage. We'd love to hear your feedback on this conversation, and you'll find other podcasts that we've done there. Our prayer is that your hope is continually renewed as you rest in the one who brings hope, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you for joining us on Hope Renewed. Please help us reach more pastors by sharing this episode with your friends. If you enjoy this podcast, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google, or Spotify, or your favorite platform for receiving podcasts. Thank you. This means the world to us. The Hope Renewed Podcast is brought to you by PIR Ministries. At PIR, we partner with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration. Pastors, our goal is to help you cultivate new hope for healthy life and ministry. We do this by building relationships. We train both pastors and churches to promote a culture of ministry health. If you've experienced a forced exit from ministry, we provide a process of restoration for you and your family. We also have proven resources and tools to assist you in the challenges of ministry life. To contact us or to learn more about PIR, 
visit pirministries.org.